guys welcome to she knows arsenal my name is jessica i'm your host you can follow me on twitter at it's Jessino. and today we're going to be having our post-match podcast for arsenal 2 newcastle nil and we'll talk about some other things as well um in between talking about the game and um since i'm solo the best kind of uh, structure for the show is three big things so that's what we're going to be doing today three big things that we learned um about the team about arteta or whatever, um, during our win against Newcastle, I think this is a very important game for several different reasons. And for me, I think Arteta got it spot on. I wasn't sure if he had when the game first started because, or even before the game started, because I kind of wanted to see Tierney come back in. And I wasn't sure if, you know, you know, I I did a poll before the, the game started and ask people what they thought was most important beyond getting the three points. And I was like, is, is Tavares's confidence more important or is getting Tierney minutes more important? And about 73% of Arsenal fans, if that's exactly, if that's who was actually voting said that they thought Tierney's minutes were more important, but now that the game is kind of has ended and Tavares has played so well, you can kind of see how important that, that management, that man management call might have been for for the team, keeping Tavares and Sambi in the team. So I think Arteta got a lot of the man management things right. He got the substitutions right. And he deserves a lot of credit. Now, it's Newcastle and we should be beating Newcastle. But there were a lot of storylines outside of the Newcastle game that are important for us going forward. And I think he got a lot of that right. So there's about 20 of you guys already here. Thank you so much for joining me. Like the video and subscribe to the channel. And um, we're going to go ahead and get started here. Um, Let me see what you guys are saying. We move says, hi, Jess. Hi, Gunnar. CR7 uh, preparing to annihilate us. Bring it on. Andy says, going to be Kitty, but you met Liddy. Um, Moosin says, CR7 will be in Gabrielle's pocket. Trust me. Max Sun says, hi, she knows Arsenal. Hi to you as well. Let's see. Rafi Lips says, what's up, beautiful Jess? Thank you so much. Um, I am good. I can't complain. Um, um, Psalm 51 says, evening, Jess, how are you? I'm good. So, yeah. Um, before we get started, I guess we can kind of touch on the Ballon d'Or, as well as um, Ralph Ragnick being confirmed as Manchester United's new manager moving forward for the next six months. Um, in terms of Ballon d'Or, I think these types of awards, singular awards, personal awards, for me, don't really, I, I don't get overly worked up about them because I feel like as long as Ronaldo and Messi are, are playing, it's going to be difficult to expect other players to to get those awards and I think most football fans can agree that Lewandowski deserved it last season and because the season was cut short and they didn't actually give out a Ballon d'Or he was kind of robbed of that opportunity 
and then the seventh, uh, uh, Messi received his seventh Ballon d'Or. And so it, it just depends. You know, I really can't, I'm not going to sit here and, and say that I put a lot of stock in these awards or anything. I really don't. And, um, you know, I think the structuring of them can be a little bit different where it's going to be difficult to compare a center back or a goalkeeper to an attacker. And so I feel like over the years, maybe some goalkeepers and center backs, if you think about like in recent times, Virgil van Dijk and maybe um, somebody like Edward Mendy have not had an opportunity to really get the recognition that they probably deserve because they're going up against attacking players and attacking players usually win these awards. So if I could say anything about it, you know, about the Ballon d'Or, it would be nice if they gave a section to defenders and a section to goalkeepers maybe so that they can get the recognition that they deserve because the, the job is so different than scoring goals. And it's just being at the top end of the pitch, it's it's easier to, your, your eyes are drawn to those players. And that doesn't mean that the players behind them are not putting in the same shifts and having the same impact on their teams and on the game. So it would be nice to see some sort of change, but I do think that as long as Ronaldo and Messi are playing because, you know, it's the best player in Europe or the best player, no matter how good you do, they can always look back and say, well, are you better than Messi? Are you better than Ronaldo? And at 37 years old, 35 years old, even though they may be slightly fading. These players are still quite good, you know, so it's difficult, you know, it's a difficult one to, to, to gauge, but I don't really think too much of it. Um, there's plenty of players out there that probably could have won that award that um, probably deserve it, that are probably at home, not really feeling any type of way, but I did see that Mbappe had a look on his face when he, I think he finished ninth. So we'll see what happens with that. But um, yeah, let's see. Um, Usopp's rubber band says, hi, Jess. Hi guys. Hey guys. Um, Dave FC says as an honest messy fan, I think Lewandowski deserved it. Yeah, no, I hear you. I think he definitely deserved it last season and for the calendar year thing. I mean, he's been still so good this at the beginning of this season and he was tremendous the back end of last season. And he was a big reason why Bayern Munich did not get through, you know, in the champions league against PSG because he wasn't there, you know, so um, he just is in an era, you know, him and Benzema are in, a, in the era of Ronaldo and Messi, and it's difficult, isn't it? Um, let's see. CJ, I hear what you're saying. Um, I know that other people are doing shows at these times. It's I couldn't get on earlier, and so I still have to kind of do my show. So even if, you know, the Big Six show is on right now and somebody else is on right now, to be honest, another big channel is always on whenever I'm on. So my, my, my goal is to just have a good show, and then hopefully people will watch it on play, playback. But I hear what you're saying. Um, we do get kind of eaten up by the big dogs sometimes when we go live at, at certain times. Um, Solo says, I stopped caring about this when they robbed Henri in, in 03 and gave it to Nedved. I hear you. Um, T and DeJosie says, the biggest robbery was 2013 when Ronaldo won it based on his performance against Sweden. I think they're popularity contests. 
if I can be honest, like, I just don't, I don't feel like you can look at that and, and say that, like, I think if players are honest with themselves, they know that they're living in a, a difficult era of two players that are probably going to win everything under the sun while they're still walking, you know, so doesn't mean you're not a great player. And there are other awards that they have opportunities to win. Just the ball and door just seems to be very, um, dominated by those two and and rightly so i mean they are two of the the best players over the last 10 15 years or whatever um andre says party's role in this team has changed jess he now plays the jacker role it's not glamorous but it's important work we will talk about that in just a second um solo says good thinking jess not um not all of us are here for the big shows yeah it's just um i have to just kind of keep making my content even if i know that the bigger people are going to um are going to swallow me up. Like, you know, there's really nothing I can do, but um, I've tried all the, like, when does so-and-so go live and inevitably somebody else bigger goes, goes live every time I, I go on, you know? So yeah. And Mr. Austin makes a good point. The ball door is worthless, just like the Grammys in my honest opinion. I, I kind of think of that too. So when these awards come around, I just like to see what people are wearing. Um, if anything interesting happened and then I just kind of move on from it. But um, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Ralph Ragnick and what his influence might be at Manchester United before we get started um, on, on Arsenal stuff. But it's interesting because we play Manchester United at the weekend and there's not at the weekend on Thursday. And it'll be interesting to see what kind of influence he can have in such a short period of time. There are questions around whether his visa or paperwork or whatever is going to be ready for him to actually come and do training and, and stuff like that. And it might prevent him from being on the touchline on Thursday. Um, but I think this is the start of bigger clubs being smart, which is a bad thing for us because I think we're still in a period of time where we're not sure if we're doing the right thing, if we're doing all of the right things. Does that make sense? Um, we know that I think at the very least, we can say that we like the players and they have huge upside because they're young and they seem quite quite talented. But when you look above that and you look at the manager and also the people above the manager, it makes it a little bit when somebody makes a smart move, it starts to you start to look around and say, well, am I making the right moves? And that's the first thing that I did when I heard about Ralph, Ralph Ragnick going to Man United. We know that it's going to be a six month um, management in terms of on the sideline, but then he's going to go up upstairs and be the DOF for them. And that's a huge deal. Ralph Ragnick is, you know, pretty much the godfather of the gig and press and, and German football and all the things that we like and admire about German football is pretty much are things that he's put in place over the years. Like if you want to put it in layman's terms, layman's terms, like Tuchel and Klopp are not Tuchel and Klopp without Ralph Ragnick. So it's interesting to see that they've made this move. And again, I think that this is a, a look towards dumb clubs being smart, you know, and over the years it's been Arsenal and, and Man United being dumb. And hopefully we are not dumb and we can get out of this as well. But um, it's going to be interesting to see what they do in the summertime. I don't think Carrick is going to be able to hold on to that job. Ralph Ragnick will be hiring the new manager. He'll also be managing them going forward in terms of their, their transfers. So I don't think there will be more Ronaldo type transfers and, you know, um, 
players on huge wages that aren't really that great and older players and a very imbalanced squad, he'll be able to fit, figure all that out. And, you know, they're looking at Pochettino and maybe Ten Hag coming in the summer. So when you see those things and you're like, they already have a good squad as it is. And if he can clean that up, bring in some, some much needed, you know, balance to the squad and hire the right manager, Arsenal better get their shit together. You know, Arsenal better make sure that they're making all the right moves because we're trusting in something that looks good. You know, it looks good at the moment and it feels good. But with smart clubs coming up behind us and the top clubs being a lot smarter, where's the opportunity going to come for us to kind of close the gap? We have to be making all the right decisions. So coming up on Thursday, it's going to be very interesting. I don't think you'll see a pressing gig and press like change United on Thursday, but they will at least be a little bit more organized and they'll have a little bit of a pep in their step because obviously Ole is not going to be in the dugout. So the Manchester United that we probably would have faced a, a couple weeks ago is not going to be the same one that we face on Thursday. And it's a huge test for us. I think there's more pressure on them than there is for us, because even if we lose, they'll still be behind us. They need to make up ground because they were supposed to meant to be t title challengers and they're not right now at the moment. So I think it's going to be an interesting test away from home, but um We'll have more lead up to that up until Thursday, but I just wanted to touch on it and see what you guys think, um, what you guys think about Ralph Ragnick and, and Manchester United seeming to get a little bit smarter. And if that makes you a little bit insecure and, and self-reflective or reflective of the club to see if we're doing the right things, because that's what it kind of has done for me and make it seem like I, I've kind of been like, Ooh, should we be going along with this inexperienced manager, inexperienced DOF, inexperienced Vinay, Josh Kroenke thingy? Or can we um, cut corners a little bit and, and find some some better options? I'm not sure. Let's see. Um, <laughs> you guys are asking how old I am. I'm 32. Um, I have no issue telling people my age. Dublin Gunner says, if it delays Ragnick being in the dugout, I finally found one upside to Brexit. Um, T says he made sure that DOF was put into the deal. Um, Psalm 51 says Chelsea, Liverpool, and now Man United all have German coaches. Um, should we have a German coach? I don't know. <laughs> you know, um, I, I think, you know, not to be reductive, but Germans tend to be very efficient and good at what they do. So, um, you know, from a management perspective, you know, um, I think some of the best managers are German, but then there's also really good managers that are other nationalities and Pep is Spanish and Arteta is Spanish. So I don't know, you know, I don't know if there's anything to it, but, um, there's a lot of great German managers, you know, so, um, maybe there's something to it. Um, Max then says, ha ha Dave, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Uh, <laughs> Dave FC says, no, Van de Beek for Arsenal now. I know that's dead, isn't it? Solo says, I don't think it'll work. Man United fans don't have the time for a rebuild. Does he, do they have to fully rebuild? I mean, if you take away Ronaldo and Cavani, they have Rashford, Sancho, Greenwood, Donny Van de Beek, Bruno Fernandez. If you even take away Pogba, um, 
Fred and McTominay. And then they have Aaron Wambasaka, Maguire, Varane, De Gea, and Luke Shaw. I don't think I'm looking at that team and saying that they need a full rebuild. You know, I think obviously they'll need players that can play whatever the philosophy is going to be, which is probably going to be a more pressing style, you know, and I don't know what players can actually do that. I think right now they're in the, the mode of we don't press because we're not being told to or we don't feel like it. But I think if a new manager comes in and says you need to press, they will. Um, and then they'll just add players to the squad that makes sense, you know. So I don't think they need to start all the way over. I think that they could be in and around the top, the the top teams probably within the next year or so with the base that they already have. Um, let's see. Um, Newman says United don't need much, a couple of CMs and a CB. That's what I'm saying. They don't really need much. So, you know, um, it's kind of like when Tuchel came into Chelsea and they were like, oh, they have all this, like almost like a Frankenstein of a, of a, of a team. That's like a pieces of all these different managers and all smushed together. Plus the Academy kids, a good manager will come in and be able to know how to work with that. And talent is the most important thing. Even if they don't go together, if they're talented, you can get something out of them. If you can organize them and you're a good manager. And I'm sure that they will hire somebody that could get that working at a, good level and then add to it. So, I mean, I don't really see, I don't see them having to start over. Um, Polycarp says, I think Ragnick will have a lot to do in getting Man United players to respond to his pressing game. That's the biggest thing is, is he going to be able to get this group of players to press? Um, they don't have great pressers, but again, they have enough money to go out in the summer and buy players that can do it. So they don't have anything really stopping them. They have a, a very experienced DOF. They're going to get a great manager. They have a good base and they had unlimited funds to spend money on new players if they need to. So yeah, it's, it's one of those where it's like Arsenal really need to make sure that they're doing the right things. And I'm not going to lie, like seeing them go out and get a DOF that is going to transform them into some sort of, they're going to have a philosophy. They're going to have a Manchester United way. That's something that they haven't really had and move forward in the right ways, probably, unless something really goes wrong. Um, Cause he wouldn't, he wouldn't have come if they had not promised him that he would have full control. Let's be real. So you look at it that way. And then we're looking at what we have. I'm like, Oof, this better work. You know, this better work. Um, yeah. Let's see. Spectrum says the biggest change in fortune for Arsenal is the shift in energy from the fans to the players. By the way, just keep those um, uh, theta waves flowing. Your work is appreciated. Blessings to you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, it's the mood is definitely different um, around the club. And that's and that's that's a good thing because it was dire. It really was. Solo says that team is a rebuild team to me when you compare it to the other three top teams I don't think the fans will accept finishing out of top four yeah they still have to finish in the top four you know and I think it'll still be a little bit difficult if the teams that are kind of up there are already are still getting points you know they have to hope that we fall apart that West Ham falls apart that Spurs doesn't get any sort of bounce you know so uh, Leicester stays where they are um, so it's still going to be difficult for them, but, um, I expect them to be a little bit better. 
I think they're going to be better. So let's get into some Arsenal stuff, you know. So basically for today, I wanted to do three big things that we learned um, against Newcastle. And what I said in the beginning, I, I stand by that, even though I still have questions about Arteta long term, and I have this weird feeling that he's going to end up being our Oli, like he's obviously superior to Oli in coaching, but in terms of like being able to get the feel good factor back, getting some of the, the bad players out and kind of starting the culture shift. I think he's kind of that guy for us. And then for us to move forward, we'll need somebody a little bit more experienced because I don't think you can substitute experience and, you know, for, for a manager and he's learning on the job and he may not be able to learn fast enough, like, essentially for all of this to come to fruition and be perfect. Like the players would have to kind of reach their peak at the same time that Arteta kind of reaches his. And I'm not sure that it really works that way. I think our players are closer to being where they need to be. And Arteta is a little bit further away than them. So when we get to that point um, in the next couple of years, I feel like we'll need to move on to somebody a little bit better. But in the meantime, he got it spot on and he's, I think he's proving some of the, not the doubters wrong, but in terms of like his man management, he's answering those questions about, can he manage players right? And all of that. Can he make the right substitutions? Can he get the players buying into what he's trying to do? And I think he's answering a lot of those questions, which in the meantime is what you kind of want to see, even if long-term you're feeling like something, some things need to change. I had huge questions about the whole Tavares thing and he continue on with Tavares and can't we get Tierney back in and get him some minutes, but he made the right decision by playing Nuno again. I thought he had a great game, a suspect first half in terms of a decision-making in the final third, but in the second half, he really made up for it. And um, also Sambi, I thought that was Sambi's best game in an Arsenal shirt. And he really midfielded the game. Like he was the guy in charge in the midfield. And I hear, um, that Thomas was playing the more six role. So his job was a little bit different, but I don't think that takes away from the fact that like Sambi really was running that midfield at 21 years old. And uh, that's not, that's not easy to do. That's not easy to do. So I think he made some of the right decisions at the right time. And um, also he got Martinelli on the pitch at the right time. Obviously it came because of Saka's injury, but the fact that Martinelli comes straight on and scores a goal within like a minute and a half, I think it speaks to like the work that they're doing with him, with his runs and all of that. And the fact that he is willing to be patient and come out there and, and, um, and take advantage of the time that he's getting before he wasn't really hitting the marks when he came out and we have five minutes here, 10 minutes there. He made a point to like, change the game when he came on. And I think that kind of speaks to what Arteta is trying to do with the team. So, and keeping everybody happy, but nevertheless, let's talk about three big things. Let's talk about three big things. So I have them written down. So I guess my first, the first big thing that I learned against Newcastle, Arsenal versus Newcastle is that I think Saka and ESR need to be closer together. I think our best Patterns of play come when ESR and Saka are passing to each other. And the farther they are away from each other, the worse our attack is. 
um, it's something about the way that they play. And maybe it's the hail in part of, of their, their training where they seem to understand how to do the one, two touches and, and move and, and create those little triangles at the corner of the box to, to release each other so that they can try to get in goal scoring, um, goal scoring positions. And I feel like we miss that until like the end of the half, the first half, once they got closer together and started connecting. And that kind of came when Saka was floating a little bit more and had a little bit more freedom. We scored a goal and all of our best moves, our best goals, since Arteta has been in charge really have come when ESR and SAC are close together and they're connecting, you know? So for me, I think something that I learned is that they need to be closer together and in positions where they can play off of each other so that we can get the most out of our attack because the further they are apart from each other, the more disjointed our attack looks. And I don't think that that is a coincidence. I really think they need to be a lot closer together because Saka passing to Tamiyasu, you know, doesn't really work to free up space because Tamiyasu tends to second guess himself a little bit. And then on the other side, ESR trying to pass to Aubameyang and, 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 and Tavares, sometimes they're not really getting those triangles right. When ESR and Saka are together, that's when the magic really happens. So for me, that's the first big thing that I learned against Newcastle. What do you guys think? There's about 84 of you guys watching. So I know you guys are in the chat box. I don't know why it stopped. Like, are you guys not talking? <laughs> are you guys not talking? I'm like looking for what you guys are saying. It just, it stopped a little bit. So maybe I have to wait in a uh, wait for a second, but yeah. Um, let's see. Newman says, we got a baby in charge crying for Wanger to change the nappies. Oh gosh. Oh gosh. Okay. Um, Ify says Saka scored from the left wing. I like to see that a winger should be able to interchange wings. Do you think that that was something that they've like, I guess my question, like, and this is something that I probably have to ask like a coach, but is the coach telling Saka and ESR not to move and not to be free or did it, did it come when they decided to be more brave? I guess that's what I'm kind of confused about is why did it take until the second half for Saka to start moving, you know, and, and switching sides was it, it had to have been coached. That's the only, that's the only thing I can think of. If he could have been free the entire game, why would it have taken so long for him to kind of switch sides and get closer to ESR? So I think ultimately if we can see more of that interchanging in ESR and Saka switching sides, we'd get more from them when they're just so far away from each other. There's nobody else there that can play similarly to them. And that's really the only way that we score goals is when they connect to each other and get in and around the box. Like it just doesn't work otherwise. Um, Daniel Hartley says, hello, Jess. Hello to you as well. Dublin Gunner says, does moving them closer together mean ESR a 10? Um, possibly, you know, possibly. I mean, I feel like part of me does want to see ESR play the 10 role sometimes um, just to see if, I know why we don't play him there sometimes it's because, well, you're trying to get either Odegaard or Lacazette in the team, but I feel like ESR is our best number 10 at the moment because he, he does the things that we need our number 10 to do, which is get into the box and, and create things at, at the top of the box and in and around the corners of the box. And I feel like Odegaard is struggling just a little bit with his centrality and his influence closer to the box he's good 
kind of deeper in the center circle and off of the right-hand side, pinging like cross field balls and stuff like that. But what we really need is influence in, in zone 14. And I think that that's kind of where we're missing it. Where ESR, when he plays the 10 role, he's kind of right there, like on the top of the box. And I think he does a little bit better than, um, than Odegaard with that, but potentially, yes, if we, if we were able to get ESR to play the number 10 role, I'd try it, but then it also weakens the left wing. So you have to remember that as well. Polycarp says, I thought as much as Odegaard brought something different, the kind that kind of limited ESR than to drift and occupy spaces, which he does well when Odegaard's absence. Yeah. I think we're having some issues figuring out the balance. You know, I, I'm not sure if ESR Odegaard and Saka naturally combine I, I just don't know. Like Odegaard feels like the odd man out sometimes. And even though he was doing some good things, I do agree that he kind of, because everything kind of needs to go through him and the way that he plays is a little bit different than the way that they play. They're very pale end in the way that they play where it's one, two touches around the corner, little small triangles, one, two touch, that kind of thing. Odegaard's more of a traditional 10 who wants to touch the ball a lot and orchestrate you know, from the center of the pitch. And I just, I don't, I think those two style of plays just really conflict. And so we have to figure out either, either they need to play with each other more so they can kind of get each other's patterns, or we need to pick and choose either Odegaard plays the 10 or ESR plays the 10. Um, Cause I'm not sure why it just doesn't feel like there's a lot of connectivity, but it might be just because they haven't played with each other. Um. Let's see. Johnson Moses says he was in the first half. I'll remember the Smith chance. Um, vague 1801 says we're here. Big up yourself. What's your starting 11 for Thursday? I will definitely be doing more previewing content for um, the match on Thursday, a little bit later in the week. Um, once we get the Newcastle kind of stuff gone, which will be after today. Um uh, C. Finnan is, am I the only one who's forgotten about Jack? I think a lot of people have forgotten about him, but I think he comes straight back into this team. IP says, great question, Jess. I'm not sure. My guess is Arteta gave them the freedom to do that. But again, that's just me assuming. I don't know. Is it that the the these our players are not brave enough and so they don't move and connect until they're kind of forced to? Or is it that... Arteta didn't give them the license until the second half when he figured that we were struggling to break them down. It's, I never can quite get if it's, they're not being brave or if he's telling them not to move. Um, I think it might be that he gave them instruction. Uh, he gave Saka instruction to move that that's kind of what I think. Dave Riley says, Jess, can we get a result at Old Trafford on Thursday night? Okay, we'll talk about a little bit more um, maybe towards the end since you guys really want to talk about um, Thursday's match, but I just want to get the Newcastle first. Um, Daniel says, I think both ESR and Saka have a lot of energy when they play together. I would even start Martinelli and let them off the chains with Lacazette up top. I think we could cause a lot of problems for Man United. Yeah, I I, I I I wanted I want to see like um if Saka was fit like Saka, ESR Martinelli and Lacazette that's what that's what I would start with against um Old Trafford uh, um Old Trafford Man United at Old Trafford 
Um, Johnson Moses says, what do you think of Martinelli, Smith, Saka, Abba? Um, I think Aubameyang needs to be dropped. Um, that's just kind of what I think. Um, see, Wilder says, I, I still want Abba's minutes to be given to somebody else. Yeah, I'm kind of at that point with him. But that was the first big thing that I learned, that I feel like Saka and ESR, in order for us to be successful in the short term, um, until some things change, we bring in some other characters and some other skill sets, they need to be closer together. And so um, when they're closer together, we tend to play better. When they're when they're far away and they don't, they don't connect, we're just not as good. And I think it's because they play the type of football that devastates teams. Fast, one-two touches, they're good ball progressors, and they – tend to be able to keep the ball when they're far away. doesn't really work. And uh, the goal that they, um, that they scored, the first goal was made literally because SAC and ESR were standing next to each other and they did that little thing that they do. Um, quite similarly to the West Brom goal in the snow that they, that they scored with, with Lacazette. I think those types of goals are best goals and uh, they would happen more often if we got those two closer together. CU says, I prefer ESR to Odegaard. ESR is my type of 10, kind of like Kaka, who runs with the ball a lot and is very mobile. Wizard says, Arsenal need to score first. United are in shambles and shocking. <laughs> you guys are so like ready for this Man United game. Personally, I, I could wait a little bit longer, but there's about 90 of you guys watching. Make sure you guys like the video and subscribe to the channel. I'm going to go to my second big thing. So my second big thing that I learned against Newcastle is that it's Martinelli's time. I think there's been a lot of like, oh my gosh, when is Martinelli going to play? And I think that this was the first time that he's played since his injury, really, where he's made it clear that he was ready for minutes and ready to take the shirt off of somebody's back. And so we know that that player is there and Martinelli is good. But when he's come in for his five, 10 minutes, he hasn't really done enough in my, in my opinion, to, to, to rip the shirt off of somebody's back. But I think with Aubameyang's form and our lack of goals and the fact that Aubameyang will be gone at AFCON and, and Pepe is, is clearly um, on the outskirts of the team, Martinelli's time has definitely come. I feel like he'll get more minutes now and, the goal that he scored was so beyond his years. Like if Ronaldo had scored that goal, people would still be talking about it. Like the movement, he made it so easy for Tomiyasu to find him. Like his movement dictated what Tomiyasu was supposed to do. Um, great pass from Tomiyasu over the top. And he had to watch that ball kind of, he had to stay on side first, watch that ball come up over his shoulder and then hit. And while the goalkeeper's coming out, hit it with just the right amount of texture to make sure that it gets into, into the corner. And I just thought that is why we need Martinelli in this team is because he's a goal scorer. He still has his, his, um, he still has something to play for. I feel like because our strikers are kind of at the, the end of their careers, kind of, there's nothing to really fight for. Martinelli, for me, has something to fight for still. And he's trying to prove himself to be that guy. And so when you add that with his natural skills and his tenacity and his goal scoring, like his goal threat, you have something that we're going to need towards the back end of the season when the bombing is not available, you know, so... 
for me, I think Martinelli did the perfect, that was the perfect scenario for Martinelli to come in, put the game out of reach for Newcastle, score a wonder goal, and put pressure on Arteta to start thinking about him a little bit more for the starting lineup. I don't think Aubameyang's doing a lot to really keep the shirt beyond being the captain and there not being somebody right there nipping at his heels. If Martinelli can do that a little bit more, I think we're looking at somebody who will be playing a lot of minutes towards the back end of the season, and we won't have to be so worried about when is Martinelli going to play? He's going to play. He's he's definitely going to play. Let's see. Um, let's see. Sean says, fans want the Wenger chaos attack, but when we concede, we'll complain about the manager not giving the team instructions. Um, yeah, we are a lot more structured. I don't want to say structured, but defensive solidity is definitely something that Arteta, uh, prioritizes. And so what comes with that is less attacking players, you know, up there, and he doesn't just let them just go. But, like, nobody does that anymore. Nobody does just go out there and just do whatever you want, um, except for Bielsa, and you see where they are in the table. So I don't mind it that much. I just feel like we need a couple of different profiles in there to, to help us along. Let's see... Ify says, I don't think so, though he did great against Crystal Palace. He did have a good cameo against Crystal Palace. You're right about that. C. Finnan says, Martinelli's goal was top class. Um, Dublin Gunnar says, it was one of those goals where he seemed to slow time down. It was so nice. It was such a good goal. Um, Spectrum says, Aubameyang needs the crowd to give him energy and confidence. Martinelli came on and contributed more in 90 seconds. I feel like this was to prove a point, he will be the next in line for the striker position. Now, I still think we buy a striker in the summer, um, but I do think that Martinelli will inevitably inevitably become a bigger part of this team moving forward. You know, so, um, but I don't know if he's going to be the next guy in line when Lacazette goes, if that makes sense. Davion says, unleash Martinelli against United. Um the, the staff 786 says Martinelli has flair and style reminiscent of Alexis Sanchez when he played for Arsenal. I think when people are like, oh, he doesn't he doesn't have the technical quality. It's not so much that. I mean, he's definitely not like Saka on the ball, but he can dribble. He can beat a man. He's quick. And he he's kind of like Tavares in that way where it's like even when he's rough around the edges, he does the things that defenders don't want to have to play against. And that's somebody that never stops that consistently goes forward and causes them problems. And we just don't have enough of those players in the team. Like ESR and Saka are great, but they're more facilitators. Whereas Tavares and Martinelli are disruptors. And so you need a healthy balance of the two. And so I think adding Martinelli in there and Tavares in there will give us a little bit more of that, that X factor that people just don't like to play against. They don't want to play against Tavares. I'm telling you, like, the right-hand side of people's teams are like, please don't play him because he's so annoying. Nobody wants to play against somebody who will not stop running. And Martinelli and Tavares are very similar in, in that way. And what they lack in smoothness and, and yeah, basically what they, what they 
what they lack in smoothness, they make up for in the things that people don't actually want to play against. And that's what matters. It doesn't matter if they're a little rough around the edges. I actually don't mind it at all. Um, Daniel says, if Saka isn't fit, I would probably put Abba on the left, ESR in the middle, Martinelli on the right, and Lacazette up front. But Martinelli can switch and make those runs in the box. I'm apprehensive about playing three strikers against um against Manchester United. I still think we need that balance of two goal scorers and two facilitators. And I just feel like Lacazette plus a bombing and plus Martinelli puts a lot of pressure on ESR or Odegaard, which would probably end up being ESR to be our creative beacon. That's too much work for me. So I think I want Arteta to choose between Lacazette and Aubameyang. That's what I want to see. I want I want him to choose the Lacazette and Aubameyang thing. It works, but without Saka and the inevitability that you need to bring Martinelli into that game, it makes it so that you need to you have to drop one of them, and that's that's what it looks like to me. Unless he wants to do some madness and and put ESR on the right, you know, and play Odegaard in behind, it just doesn't make sense, you know. So I think he needs to drop one of them. Dave Riley says, definitely think it's time to drop Abba, but who do we play in his position? You can either play Martinelli in his position or push Lacazette up. Like, there's different things that you can do, but, like, I don't think it's the end of the world for for Aubameyang to get dropped. I really don't think it's as big of a deal as we kind of make it out to seem. I think we're more concerned about his attitude and what it will do to the harmony of the team in terms of like, will it create chaos in the ranks because the captain has been dropped? But let's be real. Like, is anybody afraid to drop a bombing because we're afraid we're going to miss out on goals? Be real for like five seconds, you know? Antic says, do you think that we let Abba and Laka go end of the season and bring in a new high-profile striker to complete compete with Martinelli and Balogun? A striker is coming in in the summer, if if not in January. Like, we're going to get a new striker. Um, I think Aubameyang runs his deal down, though. I, I don't think anybody is going to take him in on 300 grand a week um, at 32 years old. I just don't see it. So I think he, and if I know Aubameyang well, he's going to run his deal down and get a hefty signing bonus somewhere. So we're stuck with Aubameyang, but Lacazette will go and we'll bring in somebody. Illumide says, I think AFCON will show if we need Abba or not. People say we do miss Shaka, but the team is doing fine. Now, for me, I think Sambi does how do I say this okay I think party and Jacka work better because it allows party to play his role a little bit more when you play Sambi and Thomas together you lose Thomas a little bit and um I prefer us to get more out of Thomas than avoid Jacka does that make sense like some people are like I want to avoid Jacka at all costs so I prefer Thomas to have to suffer a little bit. And we just kind of go with Sambi personally for me, I'd rather get the most out of Thomas and live with granite. Um, that's just how I kind of view it. But in terms of a bombing, like with a striker, if you're not scoring and your buildup play and all of that, like you don't get assists from a bombing really, you know? So if you're not going to get buildup playing, you're not going to get assists, but you're also not getting goals. What's the point, you know, 
One thing that's very underrated about Martinelli is his ability to create chances. People liken him to a bombing, but he's not really like a bombing. He's he can run in behind and he may not be able to post up, but what he can do is beat somebody and put in a very dangerous cross. That's something that I haven't seen from a bombing. Like his crossing is not great, but Martinelli's crossing is is a, is great. You know, so I think. Martinelli has a little bit more to his game because not only can he play make a little bit, but he can beat a man and he has, he just has something to play for. And I feel the more players you have on the field that have something to play for, the more dangerous you are. Let's see. Uh, Lone Star says definitely won't be dropping ABBA. Um, Seawalder says Laka, Martinelli, and Pepe should be fighting for that center forward spot. Who's Pepe? No, I'm just joking. Um, we're gonna about to talk to talk about him in a second. Jim Housen says Arteta playing Laka behind Abba is him constantly trying to compensate for the fact that he's not Firmino or Jesus. We were having a conversation about this in in our group chat about Odegaard, and I personally. Although I wanted somebody different. Um, you guys know I, I wanted James Madison. I want to give Odegaard a chance because I've seen that he's kind of become the scapegoat. Like he was totally terrible on rewatch. He was not as bad as I thought he was. He did have loose touches and he was sloppy, but the guy needs time. You know, he needs time. And so we're still trying to figure out what he is, what he can offer. And he just needs more time in the team, but he's not, not getting in the, in my opinion, he's not, not getting in the team because Lacazette's playing better than him. He's not getting in the team because a bombing is not good enough, or he doesn't give us enough roundness to his game. So we have to have a bombing plus Lacazette to make up for a bombing, not being able to hold up the ball, no build up and no physicality. That's what I think. And then, so Odegaard suffers. I don't think Arteta saying Lacazette is a way better number 10 than Odegaard. I think he's saying, I need to keep a bombing on the field, but he lacks this, this, and this. So I'm going to use Lacazette as kind of like a foil for him. So I think it's more that, but it just is not sustainable. The Lacazette, a bombing thing is not sustainable because inevitably it gets found out. And when they're not good, they're really not good. So we need to figure out something else. Lone Star says, picking the players depends on who's available, the opponent and formation. I agree. Hold on, you guys. I need to, like, blow my nose. <laughs> Sorry, I have, like, a little runny nose. Um, yeah, I agree, you guys. Martinelli is nothing like a bombing. When I hear that comparison, I'm like, not really. <laughs> not really. Um, C Finnan says, I still worried about ESR and Saka getting burnt out. So do I. Um, yeah, I do think that they get played a little bit too much, but that's just me. Um, let's see. Polly Carp says, Martinelli at this point in time do better than Abba. He's hungrier in my opinion. And I think, do you want to deal with the the inconsistencies of a young player, a very young, talented player, or do you want to keep that little bit of experience from Aubameyang? Because really right now, 
for me, he's not adding much. And yes, he's working hard. He's pressing more. He's running around. Let's be real. That is a prerequisite for not only playing for Arsenal Football Club, but for being the captain of the club. You know, so when I'm seeing all the like, he's pressing and he's doing that. Yeah, I get that. But like, he should be doing that. What have you done for me lately? Like, he really is just not cutting it, you know, so I would like to see more of Martinelli, which we inevitably will do. Uh, we will see more of him because Aubameyang won't be here. So let's see. Arsenal, Lone Star says, Arsenal had three games in November burnt out. It's not really about, it's not so much about, like, it's not so much about just what we're doing. It's also they're going away with the national team and they're playing a lot of minutes. And so I do think there's an element of not only physical fatigue, but mental fatigue. And they're still young players. Should they still be able could they use, like, play day in and day out? Yes. But I think, personally, I feel like what's sad, over the last couple of months, I have seen a little bit of fatigue in terms of like decision making not being sharp, touches not being sharp. And even when Sack is not sharp, he's still really, really good. But I would like to see them kind of not play as much sometimes. But Pepe in his form does not allow us to have ESR and Saka rest a little bit more. So they just have to keep playing, you know. So yeah. When you're traveling and stuff. Yeah. is I mean, I think we, we don't take into account the travel. They're still training in between. So just because they're not playing against hard teams when they go and play for the national team is still minutes in their legs. They're still training. They're still traveling. So I think we're underrating the amount of football that they actually have to play. And the fact that they're still young players. Um, but I digress. Um all right, so let's get to the third big thing. There's about 130 of you guys watching. Make sure you like the video and subscribe to the channel. My third big thing is that Pepe is falling down the pecking order. You know, um, Nicola Pepe, I kind of felt like this, what game was it? What game was it, you guys? Um, I think it was Watford at home. Arteta decided to bring in Martinelli on the right instead of bringing in Nicola Pepe. And I, I was like, oof, he's probably not feeling him right now. Now, um, for the Newcastle game, Pepe comes out or Saka comes out. He chooses Martinelli again and leaves Nicola Pepe on the bench. He hasn't played 90 minutes in forever. And he really has been on the outskirts of the team, maybe since Burnley, I think. So, oof, it's, yeah, I think Pepe is really down that pecking order. And there's been a lot of rumors swirl swirling around that he's going to be looking for somewhere in January. He's going to be doing this. He's going to be doing that. Maybe we're open to selling him, da, da, da. I don't see him leaving in January because I don't think at the Ivory Coast, I don't think they qualified for AFCON. So I think he'll still be here and we can't afford to be so thin during that time. So I don't see him leaving in January, but I think it opens the door for him to leave in the summer. Again, we've been having these conversations um, about Pepe over last couple of months. And maybe I was a little bit premature um, talking about it so early on in the season, but 
I'm always looking at the contractual situations of our players and trying to see if the club can make better decision, decisions moving forward. And he's three years in, you know, he's three years in, just like Saliba, three years in, um, into his their five-year contracts. And Pepe, he's, he's a unique situation because – he was never going to be worth 72 million. That price tag was always too much. And I think he's more between 30 and 40. Like that's more what he was probably worth at the time. But we're coming up on two years at the end of the season. We'll have two years left on his deal. And usually what you want to do is you want to either renew them or extend them. Sometimes when you extend people, you have to give them more money. So that has to be taken into account. But your other option is to try to sell. You know, and Pepe is 27 years old. Um, I think there's a portion of the fan base that doesn't realize how old he actually is. He's 27. So the chances of him really improving from here, for me, okay, so Ivory Coast are going to AFCON. I didn't know if they had qualified or not, but I still don't see him leaving because, like, we, we're going to need somebody. And if we address anything in, in January, I think it'll be central midfield and not the attack. But when it comes down to it, he has two years left on his deal in the summer and 27 years old, hasn't really hit the heights. The longer he go, he runs down his deal, the less money you could potentially get for him. And the closer you are for Tim walking away for free at 29, 30 years old. So a decision does have to be made, but I think when you see Arteta slowly just kind of pushing you to the fringe of the team, like just kind of like pushing you away, I think it's a natural, a natural sign that like you're out, you know, you're out. And so I know Arteta made a comment about Pepe saying that like, basically saying that like, he's not somebody that we're looking to sell. We're looking for him to get to the, the level that we know he can be at, but I think that's waffle. I think it's waffle. I think at this point he's had enough opportunities to show who, what he can be, even in not the best situations, he should be able to beat a man to pass the ball with security to do the basics. And that's not really an Arteta thing. It's not Arteta's fault that when he came in, he was somebody that could do the spectacular, but couldn't do the basics. And in the Premier League, you have to be able to do the basics and he's just not doing it. And I don't see Arteta switching up his system so that we could play counterattacks so that Pepe could, could be better. So looking at him, it's, it's just one of those things where I feel like the time is ticking. You know, the time is really ticking on him. And unless something really, really changes, um, I think he's gone, you know. So um, seeing Martinelli come in was was a good moment. I felt like, yes, like he's going to get his playing time. He's, he's going to do this. He's going to do that. But it also brought into focus Nicola Pepe. And I'll, I do think he still has a role to play till the end of the season. Um because we don't know what's going to happen with Saka and ESR, if they can stay fit and all of that. But geez, I mean, we just want to see what happens. Like, I just want to see what happens like with, with Pepe. I want to see what they're going to do and if they're going to do the right thing. Um, Polycarp says Pepe almost feels like he's refused to learn, especially on his 
final third output, which would frustrate Arteta. He has had opportunities, but still lacks final product. Dublin Gunner says, I wonder how long after we sell Pepe, we will be paying for Pepe. Uh, I don't know. Like, you know, it's, it's one of those where it's like, we know that we're paying in, in installments. So we may, what I would, I mean, cause there's a, there's a big possibility that we could sell him and be using that money to pay him off to Lil. You know, it was such a bad deal. Ariane Rai says Pepe gives the impression of being a raw player at 27. That's not going to work for us. It's really not. I mean, he's not terrible, but there's a lot of different factors that are going up against him. The contractual situation, the fact that he can't get in the team in front of a 20-year-old, um, even though that 20-year-old is Bakayo Saka, he still is not getting into the team. And at 27, he should be able to, to beat Saka and, and be the number one right wing. The fact that I don't think the system necessarily helps him. Our right winger has to be able to deal with being double teamed. That's just what it is. I notice even when Saka plays there, they always double team that person because our right wing does a lot of our deliveries and a lot of our facilitating and, and all of that. Our wing players are so important to our system. And where Saka makes the right decisions to take on a player at the right time, to split the players at the right time, to pass at the right time. I don't think Pepe really makes the right decisions in that, in that, in those situations. And I don't think the system is going to change anytime soon. So he has, he has a lot of things working against him, which I don't think necessarily really boil down to him not being a good player. It's just what would be the point of keeping him? Max Sun says, I'm back from the big six. Awesome. Philip says, we need to bring in Max. So Alan say maximum from Newcastle, but the problem is Arteta will probably make him worse. Why would we bring Alan say maximum in? Alan say maximum, Pepe, they're all the same player, uh, Adama Traore, players that look really good on compilations that have no end product. Alan say maximum has no end product. Pepe barely has end product. We don't need players like Alan Say Maximum. We need players that are more efficient in a system that doesn't naturally create a whole bunch of chances. We need players that are efficient and are technically secure on the ball um, and have a little bit of end product. So Alan Say Maximum doesn't actually solve any of our issues. He gets into our system and the one or two chances that he gets, he flubs them as well. You know, so... I don't see the glamour in any of those players because they're just not, they don't have end product. And that's the most important thing when you play up top. It's not about how many moves you can do, how good you look on compilations. That's why I don't really, some of these players, I just don't rate because I'm like, but what are they actually doing in terms of their output? Absolutely nothing. They're not doing a lot with their output, you know? So I just don't see it. Um, yeah, I just can't. Wizard says, you need players that can put the ball in the net at the end of it. Um, Lone Star says, Sterling to Arsenal. Nope, he would never sign for us. I don't think I don't think Sterling is a, is a realistic option because we're not we don't have Champions League. But those are the type of players that people tend to not really like because maybe they don't look as good doing things. I think Salah has a very similar effect where they're really efficient and really direct. Um, they also play in teams that create a lot of chances. So you have to take that into consideration. But um, 
I prefer efficient direct players. I don't care if they, I don't care if like it looks pretty or it looks good on compilations. If you're a power, like power and pace merchant or you're a push it past them and run merchant, I don't care as long as the ball is going in the back of the net. I, I have a real issue with players that are really flary that have no end product. What's the point of them? Trissard from Brighton. I was having, I was talking to, I was like, is he good? Is he good? Like, is Trissard good? Or is he just, is he just the main guy at, at Brighton? You know, is he actually good? You guys, like, I can't tell. Do you know what I mean? Um, um, no, I don't think Alan St. Maximum is any good. I'm sorry. I can't get behind that. <laughs> um, oh, and also, if Alan St. Maximum was as good as you saying he is, then why isn't anybody taking him from Newcastle? Um, Sterling may look for a loan move in January. Would you take him on a loan and try to make top four and then sign him permanently? Oh, gosh. I mean, if I would take Sterling, whatever the circumstances are, like, you know, whether it was a loan or whatever, I would take him because I think he improves us. I just, I don't think it's, it happens. Like, I just don't see him coming to Arsenal, you know? So, yeah. Um, I do like Rafinha, um, a lot. I also like Anthony. Um, he's, he's somebody that needs a little bit of, so he needs some more time to cook, but I like Anthony at, um, Ajax. I think he's a really good right winger. And then somebody that's been mentioned on the channel several times by George is um, Kaladin uh, Sulemana. I think he's, if you like direct, a direct winger, like more like a Mane, but he has more skills, Sulemana would be perfect for that, you know, um, to play off of the left or the right. So yeah, um, he's he's good at that as well. Um, yeah, but Sterling is always everybody's preference because he's already an accomplished world-class player. I mean, he's insane. The guy is so good and he's so disrespected. Um, he's so disrespected, I feel. Um, James says, we need Holland and Tielemans. I mean, yeah, I know. I mean, I need a million dollars, but that doesn't mean I'm going to get it. You know what I mean? Yo-Yo <laughs> oh. says, how do you say such things, Jess, and rate? the great Ronaldinho so highly efficiency wasn't his prerequisite in, in that era because the game has changed, you know? And also if you look back at Ronaldinho's numbers, he actually was pretty efficient. Um, he did score a lot of goals and he had a lot of assists, um, but the game was different back then. We enjoyed the game differently there. I don't think statistics were really taken seriously until 2004. So now in the game, it's all about efficiency because the game is so expensive now. And, you know, teams can look at the statistics and really get down to the nitty gritty of what a player is going to be able to give you. And then, so you make those decisions based on output and how they're going to meld with your team. And does this player work with that player? So you cut out some of the noise. So for me, when I watched the game back in the day, which was like 10 years ago, um, I didn't care about statistics. I cared about my eye test. Now when I'm looking at Arsenal and I'm not like Pepe is somebody that you would enjoy back in the day because he wasn't, he's not necessarily efficient, but he's fun to watch sometimes. 
now we need more efficient players that just kind of fit the system and we can get the most bang out of our buck. So the game has changed. Um, Ronaldinho is somebody that, I mean, he was perfect. Like he was perfect. I mean, he was fun to watch and maybe he wasn't as efficient as some other players, but if you go back and look at his statistics, he actually wasn't as bad as people make him, make him out to seem. So yeah, I hear what you're saying, but the way that I enjoy the game is a lot different now because I, I do look at statistics now. Um, I hope that makes sense. Um, Yes, Nashville, we did talk about Raniak. Uh, we did talk about him at the beginning and how we thought he would um, change United and does that make us insecure about what we're doing? We did talk about that. Um, uh, Nashville says, my Ragnick dream for Arsenal is gone. It, it has been an adjustment. I think Arsenal are going to go down with this a do Arteta thing like they're going to not go down but they're going to they will only change it if it goes to shit you know it's not if I would love Arsenal to be the type of club that if something were to become available that that is so good that you can't turn it down like somebody like a really good DOF becomes available or a really good manager becomes available that they would make the move even before things go to shit because usually once they go to shit it's already too late I see Arsenal, the only way that Arteta leaves is if we're somewhere in 15th place, nowhere near where we need to be, and the DOF doesn't leave unless it's just all crumbling, you know? So I think we'll kind of go down with this, um, but I would love to see us make more opportunities, like or take advantage of opportunities that come, come available. Um, let's see. Um, Jess Coran says, can we talk about why party is getting so much hate? Do people not understand how much Arsenal struggle and build up without him in the team? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm a huge Thomas party fan and I think he needs more time. Um, I've noticed, um, getting, getting to know him over the last year or so is that he struggles when he comes back from injury and he tends to look really out of shape when he comes back off of injury. So these last two games, he hasn't looked amazing, but I also think that the position that he's playing is different. And when he's been asked by what I think is he's been asked by Arteta to play the more conservative role, the role that we would see El Nini playing if he were playing or even maybe Granite, not even he's actually playing the El Nini role. And so his job is just to keep it. He, he has done a lot of intercepting and a lot of defending in the last couple of games playing with Sambi. Um, because Sambi can't play the deeper role. He's not there yet in his physically. He's not, he can't do it. And the closer he is to our goal, the more mistakes Sambi tends to make. Um, so Arteta, in my opinion, has tasked Thomas to play that role. And as a result, he's not as influential um, as Sambi has been in the last couple of games, playing balls in between the lines and being closer to the attack. But a lot of what we've done over the last couple of games have come through Thomas. He's just not that line breaking, that exciting, electrifying balls in between the lines and the big switches. That's what Sambi's doing. So we're actually lucky that we have a player in Sambi that could do something similar to what Thomas is doing. But let's not get it twisted. 
Sambi is not Thomas. Thomas is a superior player to Sambi. And if we had a CDM, a number six, that could play in that position that Thomas is playing now, we would get a better Thomas. But we don't have that right now. And so do I like the Thomas party slander? No, I don't. It hurts me. But at the same time, I understand why it's coming because a lot of times it's like, well, we paid this amount for you. And so we expect you to be the game changer. And, and I think it's, it's sometimes it's really harsh when it comes to like midfielders that play deeper in your midfield and defenders, because their contributions to what we do, even offensively are sometimes so overlooked because it's not flashy. Like, does that make sense? So like even Ben White, it's like, wow, we spend 50 million on a defender. It's not going to, it's not going to change our trajectory, especially if he's not like a hard nosed defender, but what Ben White gives us the ability to do and build up is very good for a team that right now is struggling a little bit offensively. He gives us another outlet and he, he allows us to push up. He breaks lines. Like he does a lot of different things that you probably didn't really notice when we spent 50 million on him. I think Thomas party is kind of similar to that where he doesn't play at number 10. Like he's not the number 10. So he's not going to give you goals. He's not going to give you assists. And if he's not a, a, a CDM that's going to like break people's ankles and, and slide in and do last ditch tackles, you're like, what does he do? What does he do? But if you watch Thomas closely, if you don't have players that have the technical ability to evade pressure, that can find the right pass, that can actually nip balls off of people, you struggle. And I think he's doing a decent job in the sixth role. It's not his best position, but when Jack comes back or we bring in that midfielder that he deserves to have next to him, I think we'll have a different idea of what Thomas can do for us. It may never be what Arsenal fans really want because I know that there is a, a a school of thought where it's like, I'd prefer to see a, a Santi Corzola in that position. But for me personally, I prefer a Gilberto and a Vieira. And Thomas is nowhere near Vieira. He's he's nowhere near him. But in terms of the balance and what that gives you in, in, in your midfield pivot, I prefer that. But without the number six, we'll never see it. So... He is important to what we do. Do I think he, he's been playing amazing? No, but I think it's a little bit harsh. You know, I do think it's a little bit harsh on him, um, especially coming off an injury. But that's my take. Um, Daniel says, an average party is better than no party or no, no Thomas, no party. Um, Jess, Jess Karan says, do, do we go with Odegaard or Laka in the 10 role? At OT, I think we should go with Odegaard if Saka doesn't make it, um, as Odegaard likes the right pocket, so allow Martinelli to play higher. <sighs> if Saka's not fit, then yeah, you go with Odegaard, I think. Mohammed says we need to replace Kessie or replace Thomas with Kessie. So why Arsenal fans don't deserve anything nice. How are we going to replace Thomas Party before we've even gotten the best out of him? He doesn't need a replacement. He needs somebody next to him that can do the dirty work. Now, if you're saying bring in Kessie to play with Thomas, I understand what you're saying. This is why I really wanted Basuma. Um, I just felt like that type of player just opens up opportunities for us to play a little bit differently. And so 
I would just wait a little bit before we just write Thomas off, but he does need to offer more and against United, he needs to be on his, on his a game or else we're going to get eaten alive. Um, Yo-Yo says party like other signings at the club made a mistake in joining Arsenal for different reasons. Um, you think Thomas made a mistake? Jim Housen says Vieira needs Petit to be the DM. So does Party. I mean, it's very similar. I, I use Gilberto as my my example, but Petit is also a really good example. Sometimes you just need a guard dog to do that job for you. Thomas Party's not a CDM. So we're not really getting the best out of him. So his performances are going under the radar. And we're like, why isn't he doing this? And I see I still see people being like, he doesn't score enough goals and he doesn't get us assists, so he's not a good midfielder. And I just feel like I don't understand like that thought process, you know, that's just not how I view the midfield. That's not how I view it. We don't get goals. It's not because we need more goals all over the pitch. In my opinion, I just feel like we need another striker um, that scores goals and our youngins need to keep up. Like they just need to get to a point where they're actually putting the ball in the back of the net. And we need a number 10 that, that uh, contributes goals. I don't think our pivot necessarily needs to contribute goals because also our fullbacks getting as forward as they can. If we can get Tamiyasu and Tavares to control their shots, I think you get enough goals without having to use your pivot. But it's like we want to go creep back, creep back, creep back. And it's like, well, Thomas doesn't score goals, so we need somebody there that can do it. I don't think it's necessarily that. I think you get Thomas Party, another partner, push Thomas up, and you get to put more pressure on teams and get some of those line-breaking passes. And you inevitably score more goals if – your forward players actually put him in the back of the net. Let's see. Let's see. Um, Lone Star says, I think United have been very good the last two games. Tough test for Thursday. I don't think they were good against Chelsea, if I'm honest. I think Chelsea, had they put one of those chances away, the game would have been done. I mean, it was essentially they had 30% possession the entire first half. They didn't create a single shot until Sancho dribbled down the, the pitch and scored that goal. That was eerily similar to the one that Martinelli scored against um, Chelsea at, at um, Stamford Bridge, um, where Jorginho made a huge mistake and Manchester United capitalized on it they were less shitty than they had been under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But to say that they were very good, I think is disingenuous when Chelsea really just didn't finish their chances at all. They had so many good chances and Manchester United had no chances until Jorginho gave the gift of them one. So I think it's, it's a little bit too far to say that they were very good, but what I will say is that they were better than they had been and it will be a tough test. It will be tough. I agree with that. I agree. Don't force Saka if he's not good enough. Don't force him. Yo-Yo says, if Saka isn't fully fit, do you keep him for Everton to force him? Yeah, I think you. I think if he's not 100% fit, you keep him for Everton. Our next run of games after that are kind of games that we, um, we need to win. Um, we need to beat Everton. Who do we play? Um, let me look at the schedule really quick because we have a – Let's just say very winnable games. Let me just check the schedule. Okay, so we play 
Man United, Everton, Southampton, West Ham, Leeds, Sunderland, Norwich, and Wolves. So the back end of that is not too bad. Leeds, Sunderland, Norwich, and Wolves are games that I expect to, to win. Southampton we should beat as well. But Everton is – they're not good. They're not good, you know, so I'm not sure. But I think – will struggle to to beat Man United without Saka. And my prediction for that game will change a little bit if Saka doesn't play. That being said, if I know that Saka will be fit for Everton, then I'd rather play against Man United because that's our toughest game out of the next run, I think. West Ham will be tough as well, but that's at home. I'd rather Saka be ready for those games, so I wouldn't force him. You know, I wouldn't force him, especially because you have a fit in Martinelli. You could play Martinelli, you know, this would be a good game for him to play in. I mean, I know it's a difficult one, but I think, you know, he, he could play. Um, um, Lalitia says, just as you said the that the game is not the same as Ronaldinho's times, do you feel the DM role is changing towards a more technical attributes rather than a focus on physical attributes. It depends on how you play. If you look at Rodri from Man City. He plays very similar to, similarly to Busquets, in my opinion. Um, he's the first player in a long time that I feel like has a similar, a similar profile to Busquets because Busquets was very – he's something that I've never seen before because – he was technically gifted, but he also could do a little bit of the defensive job and he was very intelligent and he could play in a single pivot. Um, very hard to find, but you need to have like almost the perfect setup to make that work. And I think Rodri does that really well. Um, then you have like the DMs that are more like Neves and Locatelli and these types that they're the deep line playmaker types. Jorginho kind of fits that, uh, the Regista types, you know, and then you have the Basumas and the Declan Rices of the world and, and, and that group. And so I think it depends on how you play. Um, Fabinho is another example of somebody who has enough technical ability not to be Sissoko, but like definitely is more of a destroyer and a sweeper. So personally, for me, it depends on how you play. Um, if you're a Man City, of course, you can go with a more technically gifted player that has a little bit of defensive security but is mostly there to facilitate play, of course, you know, if you have a team like that. But I think Arsenal, for the players that we have now and for the people that want us to move into a 4-3-3, a number six that can sweep up, that can also move, would be the move. Like, that would be what we need to get. Now, that doesn't mean that they should not be able to pass the ball. I think the number six role has changed. You have to have some technical quality. But... I think the d midfield destroyer six is kind of what we need personally, like, and then maybe we could change a little bit, like as our system changes and our players change. But um, especially if you want to play Odegaard in the 10, there's, ac there's actually no way you can go without having the destroyer number six. He needs two strong midfielders behind him. So the game has changed, but it just depends on how you want to play. Why do I make you laugh? What have I said that's so funny? Something that you disagree with, huh? <laughs> um, um, Nashville says, athletic, pretty good technically. Um, yeah, Tyler Adams can play a number six. Um, 
Busquets was was very very good. Um, Dave Dave Riley says just so far this season, how do you rate Thomas? Almost do like an incomplete. You know, he really hasn't played enough. He's been injured. I mean, Ruben Loftus-Cheek injured him in preseason, and then he was injured not that long after. You know, um, in practice, so. I would say if I had to give him an assignment, like if I was giving him a grade on an assignment, I would say incomplete, but I would say maybe like a C minus at the moment. I just don't think we've gotten the most out of him. I don't think he's been great when he has played and he's just kind of met at the moment, but I don't think it's all due to him. Let's see. Jim Housen says Calvin Phillips just sitting in front of the defense with his mate, Ben White is my dream. You know, I have like such an agenda against Leeds. And so I've had an agenda against Calvin Phillips a lot for a long time because I just don't think he's that good. But um, I think he's a good player. I think would I take him at Arsenal? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Um, he could do that job, though. Yo-Yo says the club we're going to replace Shaka with Ruben Neves. Arsenal won't get the best out of party unless Shaka evolves and he's not going to And that yo-yo. I have to say that that's my, my biggest fear is that we go in that direction. We were most heavily linked with Locatelli and Ruben Neves, which makes me think that the club is like, that's the perfect scenario is Thomas party with some immobile, um, deep line playmaker six and, I don't like it. It's not my favorite thing. I was not too keen on the Locatelli rumors, and I definitely don't like Ruben Neves that much. Do I think he's a good player? Yes. Do I think he can get better? Yes. But he's not the profile that I like. But um, I agree with you, Yo-Yo, that I, I, I have this weird suspicion that Arsenal are going to go for just a younger version of Granite. Nashville says, would you take Phillips at Arsenal? Maybe that's why Arsenal fans don't get nice things. <laughs> um, I still just, when I watch him, I think he has a great engine on him. I think he's being ran into the ground by Bielsa and that silly system that they play. I think that he plays really hard and he's the perfect type of player for a team that lacks a little bit of physicality and legs. Um, I'm not sure about... Like if somebody could let me know about his passing ability, I'm not sure that I, I feel like his passing range is, is good, but somebody playing in that position doesn't necessarily need to have a great passing range. So I think Calvin Phillips is a good player. Like it may just be the bun that's throwing me off, you know, but Hey, I don't know. Onyx Lens says, what's good, Jess? I'm, I'm good. I can't complain. We're going to wrap up here in like another five minutes or so. Um, go through a couple more of your guys' comments. Bavik Patel says, we have one of the youngest teams in the league. Don't you think we need an older player who is a winner? Yeah, but what older player that's a winner that's not finished in their career is going to come to a team that doesn't have Champions League? I mean, it's easier said than done. You could bring in players like that, like, if you have champions league, I don't even think you can get them in Europa league. So I think at this point, if we can't get experienced players that older players 
like in their prime that have won things. I think you have to go with the right profiles and talented young players that could get better. Because if you go for the other alternative, which is the Williams, you see what we got with that in the David Louises. So we're in a rock and hard place where if we were in Champions League, we probably could attract prime age players that may have won things, but we're not. So, yeah. Dave Riley says, Alexander Isak would be a perfect fit for Arsenal. I have my my little thoughts on, on him. Um, I'll give them in just a second. Nashville Gooner says, Phillips would be a great player for Arsenal and the hair would be a glorious addition. <laughs> Onyx Lens says, we need to go big on a midfielder. I'd bid for Declan Rice, even if we have to go 100 million and it's our only signing, give him huge wages. A lot of people are really into him. I just don't think we have a chance in hell to get him. All right, so Alexander Isak. So here's for the striker position, which we're going to talk a lot about in the next couple of months. I just know we are, but Alexander Isak is somebody that when I watch him play, I think he has he has the right skill set to become amazing. He's so he has such a unique profile, but he has the type of he's the type of player that people don't want to play against. You know, he's fast. He's big, you know, he's six, four, he still needs to, to fill out, but he's tall. So you would think that at some point that physical presence would come in. He's very quick. He's really good on the ball. Like when I say good on the ball, not just somebody who can lay the ball off, like could turn and face and beat a man um, better on the ball than Tamri Abraham. Um, he can also post up, he can play out wide, you know, he has all of the ability in the ceiling to become something really special. The only caveat is that he's not there yet. And so being 22 years old, we're going to have to overpay for him. Any striker that we go after that's worth getting, will be overpaying for. But the difficult thing is getting somebody who's a proven goal scorer, that's maybe 24 to 26 years old and will come to Arsenal <laughs> and fit in with this young group. And so that's a really difficult like combination to get right. And I don't, I think we're going to have to sacrifice something. So if I had to sacrifice something, it would be the experience and maybe a little bit of the goal scoring if I felt like the profile was perfect. Because if you look at somebody like a Dominic Calvert-Lewin, I think he's going to cost $60 million or so from Everton. I think there's questions around what his ceiling actually is. I think at 24 years old, I think you can probably think that he's going to be a very good Premier League goal scorer, but he's not, not going to be elite. I don't think he has the build-up play or the technical ability to be that. Um he has no assist in him, so he's not somebody – he's not – doesn't have an all-around game, and I think that that's my apprehension. Now, if you brought him in with this group and this group got better and you got a, a central midfielder in, I think we're right in the conversation for top four. But I also think in the next couple of years, you're looking at Dominic Calvert-Lewin like maybe we need somebody a little bit better. So for me – 
his ceiling is not that high, but in the short term, he can get us what we need, which is a physical presence, fast, athletic, center, center, mid, uh, center forward that can get on the end of crosses and will score goals for us. But he's not going to be elite. He's not going to be our franchise player. Like he's definitely not going to be that. Now he would give Martinelli enough time to grow and become that. But personally, if I had to go for somebody, it would probably be Isaac. But with Aubameyang looking the way that he looks, I would pref- like if Aubameyang was still putting out Vardy like numbers, you could easily bring in Isaac and give him a year to get up to speed. But because you don't have that luxury and I'm, we're not sure where Aubameyang is going to be in a year, you need to bring in somebody a little bit more finished, a little bit more done. So I think you end up with a dominant Calvert-Lewin, but you end up thinking he's not that high. of a, His ceiling is not that high. It really isn't. Lalitia says, are your opinions on Isak influenced by the presence of Martinelli and Balogun in our club already? A little bit. Um, so... Okay, so with Isak, it's like we have Martinelli and we have Balogun. They're they're all different in their own ways, but Isak is a is a very specific and special profile that you're probably not going to see anytime soon. He's the only person that's even remotely similar to Haaland, where they have the speed, the technical ability, and the height to be something that people don't want to play against. They just don't want to. Now Haaland is superior to him. Don't get me wrong, but Isak on the ball is special, you know, and he could grow into something. He's just raw. But do we want three kind of raw talents at 21, like 18 to 21 years old and nobody in that age of 24 to 25 when both of our strikers are 30 somethings? No, not really. So it's not really about Martinelli and Balogun. I just feel like we don't have anybody in that age range. And if Aubameyang had some more gas in the tank, I think you could go out for Isak and it'd be fine. Ivan Tony has a great heat map. Um, he's okay. Like, I think he's okay. <laughs> um, Biva, Bavak, or... Bavik says, I am still haunted by the Nasri and Van Persie. I think that's the thing is like, I'm, I'm looking for somebody that has kind of like the well-roundedness of Van Persie because he scored goals and he also could facilitate. And I think the Arsenal striker kind of needs to have both and they, they need to be good at both. You can develop more goal threat and become better in front of goal. But I think your technical ability kind of stops at a certain level. And so if you don't have it, there's no, you can teach people to be in better positions and stuff like that. But ultimately, if you don't have it, you just don't have it. So I'd rather look for a striker that has the technical ability already, that has speed and the size, and they could be coached into more of a goal threat. But that everything is a risk at this point. Don't you guys agree? Who is a world-class striker, though? I mean, when we say we need a world-class striker, what world-class, first of all, who are the world-class strikers that are within a certain age range that would come to Arsenal, maybe without Champions League football, and fit fit the bill? Like, 
when we're talking about world-class strikers, there's only like three or four in the world and them are coming to Arsenal. You can't get Holland. So if you can't get Holland, then the next level below that is like um, Vlahovic, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Osimhen, and Isak. Those are your options, unless you're going to go with the Jonathan Davids, who for me profiles very similar to Balogun. Why do we need him? And and Ollie Watkins, who has fallen off, in my opinion. So you have four strikers that you're looking at, and none of them are world class. So you're taking a risk. You're going to have to overpay for all of them. You're going to have to play pay at least eighty million for Vlahovic, at least sixty to seventy million for Dominic Calvert-Lewin, at least eighty to ninety million for Osimhen, and at least sixty million for Isak. And they're all young, and none of them are scoring enough goals where you can say he's world class. So everything is a risk, and that's why I'm saying. Go after the profile. Don't go after somebody that's not the profile that's just a little bit older, you know, um, that has a, a lower ceiling. That's that's how I kind of see him. So, yeah. Um, so that's kind of it. We've kind of just talked about everything. You guys were more interested in talking about Manchester United game instead of um, instead of the Newcastle game. But, I mean, it was kind of like a – it was kind of just like a victory and we just got in and it was great and it's fine. So I, I get that it wasn't like the most exciting thing to talk about, but we did our three big things. ESR and Saka are near each other. That's when we get the best out of our attackers. It's Martinelli's time and Pepe has definitely fallen down the pecking order. Um, we will do a lot of buildup going into the Manchester United game. I'm going to try to bring some Manchester United fans on so we can really build it up. And tactical Tuesday tomorrow. Um, what I'll try to do is we'll try to few like we'll try to do a tactical Tuesday that's with a, an eye to Manchester United, so we can kind of preview tactics for Manchester United versus talking about the Newcastle game, which I feel like is not what you guys want to talk about anymore. And then um, we'll just move on from there. So um, yeah, I really enjoyed this. There's about 155 of you guys watching. Make sure you guys like the video, subscribe to the channel, and I'll see you guys on the next one. Chiesa. I think he's going to Chelsea, bruh. I think he's going to Chelsea. All right, you guys. Bye, guys.